we're creating a group together to own the whole property. It's 180 acres, nine holes. It will have a driving range now, a putting course, uh, a short course, a lodge, a restaurant where it's going to a whole new level. Welcome to Golf Sustainability, the podcast dedicated to advancing sustainability of the environment and the game of golf for future generations. Hosted by Golf Sustainability founder, John Fiella. The Golf Sustainability podcast will feature conversations with industry leaders on the environmental and social issues impacting the future of the game. Let's tee off. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to what I'm uh, certain is going to be a really special episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast, as we're joined today by uh, Tom Coyne, who is a prolific author on his personal experiences with golf, and he's one of the owners of the Sullivan County Golf Club. And his work at Sullivan County Golf Club has been really what inspired me to have this episode as He's uh, taking personal steps to save a golf course, and we can't have enough of that around the country. So, Tom, thank you very much for joining me today on the Golf Sustainability Podcast. John, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the kind introduction, and thank you for coming to and joining and being a part of Sullivan County Golf Club. It's easy to say, oh, I'm going to go get involved in a golf course that needs some help, et cetera, but you need people to join. And the response was overwhelming and and why it's still around because of the people who visited and the, and the members uh, from last year. Big thanks to you. Yeah. Listen, you're welcome. I'm, I'm a proud member of the club. And I don't know that I shared the story with you earlier on, but my, my daughter and her husband live in Liberty, which is 15 minutes from your wow. club. And we had played a couple of courses there. And I said, hey, where else can we play? And he mentioned Sullivan County. And I said, wait a second, there's a story behind that course. And Mm -hmm. I Googled it. Lo and behold, it was your project. And he and I played and I joined soon thereafter and really can't wait to talk about the work you're doing there, Tom. Well, thank you. That's great. There's not a small world. Liberty's a little town. That's, That's very cool. It sure is. Before we talk about the club, let's talk a little more about your background. Maybe start by telling us a little about your journey and your current projects and focus. Yeah, for sure. I, my background is I'm an accidental golf writer. I, I went to school to be a fiction writer, and I wrote a novel there in graduate school about caddies. And I was trying to write the great American novel, but I only really knew anything about golf. I grew up caddying outside Philadelphia at a club called Rolling Green. And so I wrote this story and it, I was very fortunate to get it published and I got made into a movie soon thereafter. And suddenly I had a book and a movie and I was a golf writer. So it was a wonderful, happy accident to be able to put these two things together. As I mentioned, like the only two things I, I knew anything about writing in golf. So I've been very fortunate to, to be able to combine them and make something of a career out of it. It's always you always pause when using the word career and writing together, but it's gone. I've gone on to do uh, a book called Paper Tiger, where I tried to play professional golf, a course called Ireland, where I played and walked the coast of Ireland for four months. That was a big book for me. It changed the trajectory of my career that and cemented me. I, I guess then I had a sort of foothold in golf writing at that point because that book had went out and did quite well. Did the same thing in Scotland. And then did an America book as well, a course called Scotland, a course called America. And 
Yeah, in Scotland, I played every links in Scotland in about 54 days. And then in America, I played golf in all 50 states and played every U.S. Open venue. And that took me about eight months. So, And then in Paper Tiger, the second book, I played golf for 542 days in a row. So there's, when you think about what I'm doing now, writing a book about a golf course, a nine hole trying to, as you say, save a nine hole golf course in the Catskills, it's actually quite reasonable compared to some of the other ridiculous stuff that I've taken on. And it was actually nice to be in one place for, for a summer, a spring, summer and fall really, and get to know one place very intimately. It was nice personally and nice as a writer and not too far from home either. So I got to spend a lot more time with my family, which has become more of a priority as my my girls get into their teenage years. Nice. How old are your daughters? Yeah, they're 10 and 13. So they're they're enjoying it. They We bought a house up in the Catskills, which was not my idea. That was my wife's idea. She fell in love with the area and it it's great. And they've really enjoyed it up there. And it's been fun to have them as part of the process and be able to show up to the golf course and go in and grab a Snickers bar and feel like they're really part of it. And that's, that's been, that's been very cool. I'm sure they are very proud to visit dad, dad's course. <laughs> dad's golf that's, course. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. The, yeah, I was first exposed to your writing. My wife and I did a golf cruise through Ireland and Scotland this year. And I had picked up a course called uh, Scotland early on and read up on some of the courses that we were going to play and your personal experiences reflected there there very nicely. Given the scope of courses, Tom, that you've played in Ireland and Scotland and the US, our theme obviously is sustainability in the game mm-hmm. of golf. Have, have you noticed any trends or differences in the way sustainability of, of golf is is viewed between Europe, the UK, Ireland, and the US? A hundred percent. I think that, and that's where I think Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales can really be a model when we talk about sustainability, especially when it comes to Lynx golf courses and courses that have been around for two and 300 years. That's for a course to last that long. There has to be some sustainability to it, of course, by definition. The idea that the sort of natural feeling the natural conditions and and it's funny if an american golfer goes to their country club in america where they're paying x and demands and expects pristine and perfect conditioning have these various expectations that bring a lot of costs with them that bring with them a lot of inputs a lot of chemicals a lot of labor a lot of gasoline all those things but then they go and they play some far-flung 18-hole links in scotland that has one guy maintaining it with a mower and they think it's the greatest place they've ever played in the world. And they're probably right. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny how those expectations, if you can leave those expectations behind, and it does seem like travelers are willing to surrender them when they go to the Ireland and UK. Because the, the golf over there, some of the best rounds and most enjoyable rounds I've had are on courses that are literally been maintained by sheep or where the conditions are very natural and very rugged. And where you just are willing to accept that the golf ball does what the golf ball does. And not every great shot is rewarded. Sometimes the wind or a bad bounce or there's just there's an open mindedness that happens, I think, when people travel to play golf over there and they really enjoy it. And it doesn't 
yet it doesn't last necessarily when we come home and start judging our golf courses by the standards of, oh, who's what do they look like next door? Or what does that golf course look like on TV? And that's a bummer because I think my one of probably my favorite place to play golf in the world is the Carn Golf Links and, and is a very remote Western golf course on the Belmullet Peninsula in Ireland. And they have 27 holes maintained by three people. They have a very simple clubhouse. They don't have much machinery. I don't know if they use any inputs at all. Their grass strains are, I asked them about that once, just like, it's everything. It's whatever was in these dunes for the last 5,000 years. That's what's there. And that's the great thing about, I think, looking to Scotland and Ireland as a model where the game began on those Lynx golf courses is it just, it shows you that golf isn't supposed to be a manicured, perfect thing. And for various reasons, we've gotten, we got used to this garden golf experience in the United States and on Parkland courses over there as well that are just very expensive and time consuming to maintain. Yeah, it's a great, I think it's a great lesson to go over there and say, okay, I'm going to play, this is golf as it was intended to be played. Mm-hmm. And golf as it was intended to be played is a very sustainable thing. Fascinating. Boy, you've hit on so many things that we could just drill down and explore in great detail. I had, following that Scotland trip, I had a chance to do some pod episodes with the superintendent at Royal Port Rush and the head of sustainability at Carnoustie. And the point of view is so clearly different. It's golf the way it was intended to be. And it's more about being of nature than being of a created environment. And so many superintendents I talk to here in the States complain about what they refer to as the Augusta effect. And that is Mm -hmm. following Augusta, every member at a club wants their place to look look just like it. And it is somewhat artificial, but I think if more people experience golf the way it was supposed to be, some of that pressure might be reduced. I No, no doubt about it. I, I, it just would take a lot of golf trips to get it done. (laughs) And it would also, and it would just take a, a lot, it would be wholesale sort of shift in thinking and probably we're probably too far gone in the States. I think architecturally you see, us getting back to that a little bit where you have less land being moved and more people instead of trying to turn a bad piece of land and manufacture something dramatic they're looking for dramatic land first and that and that comes from scott that's a scottish and irish and english inspiration right trying to make golf fit the landscape rather than shape the landscape for the golf but you're right the augusta effect I mean, it's interesting in golf history when you look at like when the Masters comes into your living room for the first time in color. The impact that has on 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 landscape architecture, on superintendents, on maintenance. We we start to golf starts to get into this garden phase where it's there are no flower beds at, at Royal Dornick. But I remember growing up, there was all this everyone just argued and talked about how do the flower beds look and let's put a new flower bed dedicated to this, that, and the other. So this idea of creating like a garden, like Eden experience. I love it at Augusta and I love to watch it and it's beautiful and it's fantastic, but it doesn't mean that your golf course has to, to be that. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. One of the things I hope to do with golf sustainability, Tom, is to bring forward kind of some of those practices because they're also further along 
they've had greater regulatory pressure. So that's forced them to be more responsible with their inputs. And if there are lessons learned in, in Europe and in uh, uh, Ireland, Scotland, that we could bring here to the States, it's one of the things I want to try to accomplish with, with the pod and what we're doing. Yeah, it has to happen, right? If we're talking, if we're looking at what's happening right now with the discussions around equipment and the rollback and, and sustainability in that regard, golf has to have a simpler, smaller footprint. With the rollback, I guess we're talking about a literal smaller footprint, right? but also just a, a smaller footprint in terms of inputs, chemicals, and fuel and energy. To think that a game that's played outdoor, outdoors on fields could some way be burdensome in terms of all those things, it seems frankly ridiculous. And so we have to uh, think about it, it it just has to happen. So yeah, it, it, yeah. The sooner well, the better. Yeah, this it's really a, a great segue to what I really I'm looking forward to talking to you about, Tom, and that is what you're doing at Sullivan County Golf Club. How does an, an author, a world-traveled author, end up owning a golf course in Sullivan County, New York? The beautiful Catskills, Liberty, New York, otherwise formerly known as, still known as the Borscht Belt, this region of all these great, the great Jewish resorts from the 60s and 70s, basically a dirty dancing country, quite literally. But those resorts left in the 80s and 90s, and, and the Borscht Belt has been, to some extent, ended. So how did I get there is a, is a question I asked myself almost every morning this summer uh, as I woke up to, to go mow some fairways which I enjoyed tremendously, actually. So I was probably asking that question in a, how do I deserve this? Because it, it was a great experience. But I was con uh, contacted by the greenskeeper who had moved to Liberty and found this course in distress and had worked in the golf field for a while and took over maintaining the golf course. His name was Sean, is Sean Smith. And he reached out when he saw that I was doing some work in the architecture realm and said, hey, do you guys want to take a look at this? Or do you know anyone who's interested in something like this? Or maybe thinking that I would write something about it and help bring some attention to it because the course was set to close in May. It had been open for almost 100 years and was one of the oldest golf courses in the Catskills. It had really cool history and an interesting design provenance and all this. It, was, it would really be a, a crime for this place to close, especially in an area that's already lost a lot. And as people are starting to rediscover the Catskills, for sure, COVID was a big boost in that in the right direction for for people moving that way. But Liberty is is trying to get there too, and this golf course means a lot to to a, a lot of people. So, in any event, I went and visited, and I thought there could be a story here. At the time, I had a a deal for my next book uh, in my pocket, but I didn't know what that. We didn't have an idea. Just a golf book was was. I had a contract for a golf book, which I've done a few times, and and but this time I really didn't know what what I wanted to write about. So I talked to my editor and said, "Hey, this could be a cool story. It could be like we bought a zoo. Let's see if I can run a golf course." The problem is, I I, I couldn't really afford to buy a golf course, and so that's an obvious problem. But talked to the owners, and they said, "Hey, take it for a year. You pay everything." You essentially become the de facto owner. You pay our carrying costs and insurances and taxes and all that good stuff. And and it's everything's yours for that period that just ended at the, we closed the end of October. And they said, and if it goes well, then you, at that point, you can have the option to, to step up and buy it. So I thought, all right, so I get basically a, a year to kick the tires on being a golf course owner operator and see what that's like. In April, I headed up there and, and the adventure began. 
That's awesome. So it's a rent to buy model. It's hey, yeah, 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 and and it's and it's right. So when is the so that was April twenty twenty two. Uh, Twenty three. So, okay, April. It's 20. been the, just this past season, but we accomplished a lot. We really quickly got some friends. I, I to be fair, I had some cheat codes, if you will, in my pocket, having worked in golf for 20 years in terms of friends and relationships that were going to make, give us the chance to make things move a little more quickly. As opposed to if I came to this from, if I wasn't in golf, we got a logo by Lee Wybranski, like right off the bat. And that was a game changer for us because it sold like hotcakes. And so suddenly we were doing merchandise, which this place had never done before. And we were able to get non-resident members like yourself which the, the, the place had never had before, just through social media and people being interested in the project and hearing about it on podcasts like this, et cetera. So that was all fantastic. And we got a lot of help from our friends at Turo and our friends at Aquatrolls, whose inputs are all organic and are environmentally very responsible. And right. in fact, to help us be more sustainable with their surfactants, we were not, we didn't turn on the water pump once this year, which is a combination of Aquatrol's help and the fact that it didn't stop ringing all summer long in New York. So a very sustainable year for us at Sullivan County. But so we hit the ground running and and pretty quickly things started to change and change in a good way. Yeah, that's really cool. I For our listeners, if you're enjoying this conversation and really want more background and color, there is an outstanding kind of hour-long conversation between Tom and Sean Smith who he uh, just referred to um, that I that I highly recommend that you get a chance to listen to. And Tom, I'll include a link to that that recording in the show notes of the of the Golfers Journal. That that was great, and people will also get a chance to know Sean a little better, who's a really neat guy. So, when do you need to pull the trigger on deciding whether you're going to go forward with the buy part? John, I don't want to ruin the book for anybody, but I'm, I'm very happy to say there's no way to actually hide this fact because people are waiting. It's is the course opening again next year or not? It's, I wrote myself into a corner in that regard in terms of the suspense of what the next step will be. So we are very much going to be open in 2024. I have put together a small partnership, excited, very excited. It's myself, Bill Murray, the actor, and Mike Madden a property developer from California. Folks might've seen him this Thanksgiving. This father's John Madden, and he, they did some great tributes to him this year around Thanksgiving, and, and Mike and his family were on some of those. So tremendous guys that I've gotten to know through golf who were interested in making this happen. With the two of them and partnering with the current owners who are great guys as well and want to see the place succeed, they're just not golfers. So they didn't know how to make the golf go the right way. But what they're very good at is restaurants and hotels. And so the plan is we're finishing the, we're creating a group together to own the whole property. It's 180 acres, nine holes. It will have a driving range now, a putting course, uh, a short course, a lodge, a restaurant where it's going to a whole new level. The golf course that you played, it's going to be very different. We're building three new holes and we've had my architect partner, Colton Craig out there walking in the woods for weeks and and found a, a new, more walkable routing that I think takes the best advantage of the dramatic landscape and the views. We have a lot going for us up there. We're only 100 miles from Manhattan or an hour and a half from the George Washington Bridge and that you could come play a place 
live in New York or or New Jersey or Connecticut and or Philadelphia and come play a place for 50 bucks and golf all day with your dog and have no worries and and no one's going to bother you and have a great meal and enjoy yourself it's it's got a lot it's got yeah. a lot of potential oh man that is really that's really exciting when my wife and I were up there this summer visiting our daughter and her husband you, you see these seeds of regeneration taking place throughout the Catskills. And man, I, I can tell how this project that you're talking about can not only be a big success, but it could play uh, an important role in accelerating that regeneration of the areas. I'm really excited to hear about what it is you're going to be doing, especially adding these additional dimensions. I could see it becoming a destination for people from the city who want to get out for uh, a nice long weekend or for a week's vacation who are passionate about golf. Yeah, that's really, that's what the Catskills always were. And in all these resorts, they had golf courses attached to them. Some of them pretty significant golf courses. Grossinger's had a Tillinghast and and the Monster was, what was the hotel there? But it's the casino now. But there are, there were all these golf courses, nine holers and 18 holers all over the Catskills and they're almost all gone. So it's this, it's become this sort of, if you look at aerials, it's like a golf course graveyard. So that's not going to happen to Sullivan County is wonderful. And yes, if we can play any role in the direction and accelerating that process, because you're right, it is, the Catskills are getting it's, it's heating up there in, in a good way. I, I don't think it's going to go back to where there were. It was one of the top destinations in the world for a, a time in terms of uh, hotel occupancy, et cetera. But it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be a place that where people, like you said, can come for the weekend from New York or from wherever they live and enjoy it. We fell in love with it. It's It was like going up to, my wife was shocked. It was like going up to Vermont, but it was half a third of the distance for us. <laughs> this is awesome. That, that's that's really exciting to hear. Obviously, a lot's gone on in the last nine months. What did you identify as the major problems or issues that you had to address when you started that first phase of, of your first year uh, there? And maybe you could touch on both the kind of the course itself, how you were going to handle membership, the business model. Give us a sense for what you identified you had uh, your hands on when you first jumped in? Yeah. So when I first got up there, it was pretty clear that the the maintenance crew, which is a, a crew of two people, and if I'm there, three, didn't have everything they needed to create conditions that would make you want to come back and play the golf course again. And so that was for me, the, the number one priority. And again, that probably comes from Scotland and Ireland, right? I didn't, I don't care about the clubhouse so much or what's on the menu. It's all about the golf and how was the golf experience. So that was the focus off the bat. And as I'd mentioned, thank, thankfully friends at Toro helped us out with some gear so that, and we don't, the great thing about a nine holer when you're talking about sustainability is you don't need a lot. Like I, I need one fairway mower. I need one greens mower. That's it. And we can do a pretty good job. but And so fine, once we had those, then it was like, okay, now we can start taking care of the golf course properly because for years it hadn't. And that slide that golf courses have, if it, when things start to go down, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're not getting the return play, and then the word gets out that you're in bad shape, and it's just, and, and it's a spiral that you can't come back out of. And that's the spiral that this place was in. So it was nice 
I think it was useful to just say, okay, oh, there's some new guy coming in here, even though I think a lot of people were probably suspicious of what I was doing and get a fresh start. And, and yeah, so focusing on the golf was huge. And and so the members responding and just saying, wow, I can tell the difference from, between the fairway and the rough. The greens are actually, they're, they have grass on them. Just they're all grass and there's no rod or dollar spots or stuff like that. That's all people really, really want. If now, if you can bring them other things, which we was the next sort of thing to focus on, which was like, okay, people want to buy a hat. People want to buy uh a shirt, etc. We started to, we got into that, which was great marketing for membership, using social media. Like those were all things that hadn't really been fully utilized that we tried to focus on. But I think something we really, overall, the biggest focus was on the story. And that's, and which makes sense because I was going there to write a story, but to know what the story of this place is, its place in the area, what the area's story is, why this place matters, and once we, once I understood all that, then it's easier to get people to, to show up because people love a good story. And if part of the story was like, oh, this golf writer's coming here to try and do something at the golf course, so be it. If it got more people up there, they're great. Knowing even the history of the course where like in the eighth, in, in 1931, a plane took off the eighth fairway and flew to Denmark in one of the first transatlantic flights and the first to Denmark. So at the time, everyone was trying to be the first to fly to like whatever European country it was. So our logo ends up being a St. Andrew's cross with a golf club and a propeller. And and it's handsome and it's sold like crazy. So yeah, so using the stuff that was already there, the history, the quality, the topography, the views, getting that out on social, getting that out into one's networks, getting on podcasts, using tools at all the tools at my disposal, being in golf media. Yeah, it made a difference. Yeah, it all starts with a great story. That is so true. No and, doubt. Uh, it, it's a wonderful story. And once again, I have the advantage of having been there. And there's that plaque noting this is the fairway that the plane took off on. It's it's a special place. And yeah. I can't wait to see what's in store for it. Okay, so first wave, you've really got some very basic things that you're working on identity, the story, course conditions, some merch. What's what's in the near term? So let's say for 2024, what are the key initiatives you have teed up, if you will? Yeah. So 2024 is big. We're going in gangbusters. So we've already started um, tearing out demo on the clubhouse. The clubhouse is as old as the golf course, so it's staying. But the interior needs a fair amount of love. Right now, that's being worked on. Uh, a brand new restaurant, a rest, the, the best restaurant in Liberty, Piccolo Pais, uh, is owned by uh, the folks who own the golf course and our partners. So they're bringing the restaurant, they're moving it into the clubhouse, which is great. So that's going to be huge. Building a huge patio that's going to have a putting green all the way around it that will, so we'll have outdoor dining and an outdoor bar and it'll become this really fun hang. Developing that is happening right now. And also the golf course renovation is in this phase as well. We, we phased out the development into three phases. Um, but the first one is getting the clubhouse and restaurant up and running and getting, uh, and starting the, I hope and hopefully finishing, hopefully having grow in done this June or July 
again, we have the advantages of having a small footprint. We only, I only have nine holes to worry about and we can achieve what someone would call a major renovation, uh, which is moving three greens and altering and adding some tees to alter shots to, to reroute things. We can do that. It's a four week job for a, for a proper uh, builder. So the tree should start coming down. We're doing some clearing. We found some great land that had been, that, that was overgrown and the golf courses, it was a horse farm and it's been a golf course for a hundred years. And the lifespan of a lot of these trees, it's about a hundred years. Some stuff is, there's some stuff out there that's actually dangerous and needs to come down. And there's stuff that's ready to come down and there's stuff that will make for be- much, much better golf. So doing the, so the clearing is happening. And then we'll start, hopefully have bids in by Christmas for builders. And, uh, and that'll happen in the spring as well. So we can grow in um, this year. Though Sean is adamant that the whole thing's going to be sodded <laughs> with our own sod. And I agree. It's great. This is like a hundred year old grass. He's, he's, we can't, we can't hydro this thing with bent. We've got to use these strains that are a mix of bent, like that are everything. Sure. That make it feel like what it is, right? I want to make sure that this, is, we want to make it as nice as we can. And we want to make it as, as enjoyable an experience as we can. But we also have to remember who we are. And we are a rural mountainside Catskills nine hole golf course. And if you think that sounds fun, you should come and you're going to find, and it's, and it could probably blow you away. If you want country club golf, where it's where it is all bent grass and there isn't a weed on the property, you should probably join a country club. <laughs> That's right. and and that there's nothing wrong with that golf. I be, I belong to one here, and it's great. But I think we offer an interesting alternative. Yeah. So the next phase, it'll be getting better, different, making the most of, of what we have up there. That's all. Listen, the uh, Tom, I have to tell you the passion and excitement that you have about this project, that was just palpable, man. The energy just ratcheted up two notches as you started describing what's happening in 2024, which is fantastic. Yeah. The, the move to bring the restaurant in, oh my goodness, is that a strong move? And It's huge for us, honestly, John. People yeah. were all, people tell you, oh, don't get in the food business, blah, 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 get a cake. It's like, I need people to come up here. In Liberty, there's not a, a ton of dining options, one. And if I can bring in a great restaurant that already has an established clientele, maybe they're going to golf. And on the other side, maybe my golfers are going to come hang and hang around for dinner. It, it's going to, it hopefully feeds itself. It helps both sides of the business grow, which is an obvious thing. But you just hear, so, oh, we get crushed on food. We get crushed on this. I, not if it's, done well though and and i have great partners on that side that have been in the business in new york city and in the catskills and and kill it at their other establishments up there so it's going to be a cool spot to be yeah yeah that's great i had no idea you were thinking of evolving the business model for the overall project to such an extent it's really really very exciting what was so your ultimate kind of vision for the club five years from now what's happening at the Sullivan County Golf Club. Yeah, five years from now, I hope we will have. So part of this whole project, something I realized early on is that you can't spend X to buy a golf course that then also needs X dollars and expect to get anything out of it, it but with $20 greens fees. Right. So we have to use the land in an effective way. And one of the things we have is we have 100 acres that we don't use. 
So there will be some, we're looking to develop some property, not really on the golf course, but to build some small Catskills type cabin homes, retreats for people from the city. So we'll have people living on the property. We'll have a 30 to 40 room lodge on the property. It's going to be, and and make it a four season property as well, because one of the great things the Catskills has going for it is they actually get snow which if you live in Philadelphia, you haven't really seen snow, bizarrely, in, in, a, in a little while. Get, getting people up there to ski and snowshoe and use the property and create a trail network. There's a lot of possibility up there. And as I said, a lot of land that can be used for recreation in really cool ways. And also tons of the original owners bought the property with the idea of developing it with a very large hotel and with 80 homes and, and the golf course in that version would have really suffered. So we've come up with a plan that's great for the golf and also allows us to offer homes at a really affordable price point for people who our market in that sense will be, since the Hamptons have become so ridiculously have outpriced almost everybody, you can come up to the Catskills and buy a second home for half the price of your apartment in Brooklyn. And I think that's going to appeal to people. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, brilliant. It sounds like you've right-sized the model. You're going to have diverse revenue streams. It's And and the year-round activity in the Catskills is fantastic, beautiful in the winter. And many people don't know it is the trout fishing capital of the world. Not far from you it's, is, a, 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 is the epicenter of trout fishing. They have the annual trout parade, which <laughs> my daughter and her husband went to this past year, which is a real hoot. But there's a lot going on there. Very excited about this. There is so much that you've touched on, Tom. We could drill down on any number of elements, but I think we we really accomplished what I wanted to on 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 this first conversation with you. I always like to close the podcast by giving our listeners an opportunity to get to know my guest on more of a personal level. So I want to shift gears here a little bit and discuss some things that will give our audience a chance to know you better, Tom Coyne. What you're clearly very driven, but I still have to ask, what drives you? What drives me? Fear and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> A healthy dose of fear, to be honest. I think the wonderful sort of terrifying thing about being in the writing business is you're only good as your last book or your last piece. And there's always this sort of imposter syndrome when one calls themselves a writer. And and that's always motiv- always motivates me to to be reading more, to be writing more, to be uh, taking on new projects. So I, I think that's a healthy, it's, it's just a way that I'm wired where I wake up a little bit with just enough worry to to get me moving and get me working working hard. And, and that's okay. I think also a big driver for me is, is just always wanting to learn something new. I think that's why saying yes to running a golf course or trying to learn to write a book about Scotland when I didn't know much about Scotland or host a podcast when I knew nothing about hosting a podcast or take on an editorial role at the golfer's journal when I never been an editor, those things are like exciting and scary. And so 
when you get to those points where you have the chance to take advantage of those opportunities, I'm, I'm I try to live much more by uh, a sort of say yes attitude, especially if it scares me a little bit, because I know that's probably the direction that I should be going. Yeah, very, very interesting. Fear, paranoia. It's It's been a motivator for many extremely successful entrepreneurs. And I relate to your point of view on things. Although your last answer just gave me an even better sense for how much of an explorer you are. You really enjoy taking a step into the unknown to see where it's going to lead you, which is which is very cool. Who has inspired you, Tom? Yeah, I've been inspired, obviously, by a lot of different people. When you think artistically, like who's inspired me? There's so many writers I met along the way that I thought if I could, that made me want to pursue the writing life. There's writers that I read like Raymond Carver and Tim O'Brien that were writers that made me want to try my hand at crafting sentences that really had power. So it's a lot of different artistic inspirations. I think Bill Bryson as a writer has been a, an inspiration. George Plimpton, who have written books that are uh, about going out and doing something, which is a model that I've been using for the last four or five books, creating an adventure and inviting a reader along. My thesis mentor in college was a huge inspiration because I saw how a writer should live and should work and should approach their work and the kind of discipline that it required. My, my mentor, Valerie Sayers was a huge inspiration. And then just an inspiration on how you should treat people. It would just be my dad and my mom and my dad. They care about other people more than they care about themselves. And I fail at that a lot, but it's a good reminder. They remind me to keep trying to do that. And when you do, man, life is, is a lot simpler when you're not so wrapped up in your own small worries and your own, uh, and when you're the center of your own universe, it's a lousy place to be. Yeah. Tom, it sounds to me like you have been, you've been blessed with numerous inspiring influences in your life. And it's, it's probably one of the reasons you've been so successful. And I get the sense that you're really just getting started. Thank you. What, what's the greatest challenge that you've had to face you know, so far? The greatest challenge for me, getting sober was the biggest challenge for me. Yeah. I was headed down the path of becoming that drunk Irish cliche, drunk right. Irish writer cliche, right? Which that story never ends well and wasn't doing a whole hell of a lot of writing actually either. But yeah. Dealing with my alcoholism and deciding to get help and changing. That's that's a change. Calling it a change isn't even captured what it is. It's a, just a, a new way of living, which once you figure it out and get help with it, it's a great way of living. And, and I pretty much owe everything to getting sober. So it's been the greatest gift in my life, but it was also the toughest thing to get to and the toughest thing to, to, to deal with. And frankly, it almost killed me. So yeah, that's an easy one <laughs> for yeah. me. Other than that, life's been, and once you realize, once you clean that thing, what that up, or you clean up whatever it is that's holding you back in life and clean up the stuff that goes with it or is, or surrounds it, how much easier everything else gets. 
I think the only thing I could say in response to that is Tom Coyne, God bless you. That, Thank you. That's a, that's a wonderfully inspiring, open uh, comment, and I appreciate it. And so glad that has that's worked well for you because clearly you are you're accomplishing great things, and I look forward to possibly being a part of, and certainly watching and commenting on your continued successes going forward. Thanks, John. I really appreciate the support and all your support of Sullivan County and uh, long may it last. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for being with me today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us on what I told you at the outset was going to be a very special episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast player. You could also subscribe on YouTube. Tom's covered a lot of interesting ideas and thoughts that we'll have show notes on for you to refer to in the future. Thank you for joining us today and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Take action on the ideas inspired by this episode. You can find out more about golf sustainability in the show notes for each podcast episode and following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player, and we'll see you soon on another episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast.